Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, June 1st. Before we start today's podcast, I feel it's important to address the protests we saw occur throughout the United States this past weekend following the tragic killing of George Floyd and explain why we as a tennis community have a duty to speak up and support the fight against social injustice and institutional racism wherever it still exists. We here at Cracked Rackets have the immense privilege of getting to spend every day focusing on a sport that, beyond entertaining us with spectacular displays of athleticism, evokes a sense of joy, empowerment, and community to the hearts of so many across the globe, regardless of our respective ethnicities, social classes, or political beliefs. The passion we all share for the game transcends our differences and bonds us together as a family. Of course, no family is perfect, and while disagreements ranging from equal pay for male and female tennis players to who is the greatest player of all time will continue to exist amongst us, our intrinsic love of the sport allows us to see past our disputes and understand that any arguments we may have come from a mutual sense of wanting to see the best for our beloved game. The international aspect of the game only accentuates this fact even more. No one cheers for Serena Williams or Roger Federer simply because they are American or Swiss. The adoration and fame both champions receive comes due to their grace, intelligence, and excellence both on and off the court, and the example they set as role models for the broader global community. And while Serena and Roger are modern examples of tennis players whose accolades transcend professional sports— The history of tennis is littered with stories of men and women using their professional success to fight for equality and justice both within the game and throughout the world. Perhaps no individual better exemplifies the ideals tennis strives to represent more than Billie Jean King. A tireless advocate for equality and social justice, Billie Jean King spent her entire career fighting to ensure women received both equal opportunities and compensation for their work. She helped ensure Title IX became law in the United States, a law that removed barriers that had long existed for female athletes and guaranteed greater resources and opportunities were made available for women throughout the country. After she threatened to boycott the 1973 U.S. Open, the tournament became the first ever major to offer equal prize money to both the men and the women. Her, all, her efforts also led to the formation of the WTA and built the foundation upon which the women's game has since thrived in. Of course, the fight for racial equality has also long existed within tennis, and the stride seen within our game perhaps offer a glimmer of hope for all of us moving forward. After starting his playing career being ostracized from many corners of the tennis world, specifically because of the color of his skin, 
Arthur Ashe worked to break down any and all barriers that were put in his pathway. He became the first African-American NCAA champion, the first African-American to play Davis Cup for the U.S., and the first black male ever to win the U.S. Open, Wimbledon, or Australian Open. Most impressively, Ash used the clout he achieved from his success on the court to endlessly fight for the values he believed in off of it. Hoping he could help apartheid policies in South Africa through his presence, Ash traveled to the country to play events. Later, he was a member of a delegation who visited South Africa to observe political change in the country as it finally approached racial integration. He was also twice arrested for his efforts protesting for social equality, showing the lengths he would go to to fight for what he would believe in. Once as a part of an anti-apartheid rally outside of South Africa, uh, the South African embassy, he was arrested by D.C. police, and he was also arrested in 1992, protesting on behalf of Haitian refugees. Ash's efforts continue to be celebrated to this day, and he serves as a shining representative of what tennis players can achieve by utilizing their platforms to help others. Numerous other examples from Venus's fight for equal prize money for women at every slam to today's efforts to ensure more equitable conditions for all pro tennis players, regardless of their ranking, can be found throughout tennis's past. Examples of kindness, compassion, and empathy for one another, and a relentless desire to achieve justice and equality permeate throughout each of these immense efforts. And those values are what we at Crack Rackets want to stress now more than ever. It is equal parts shocking and unacceptable that in 2020, African Americans still face and fear mistreatment by police due to their color of their skin. We are better than that, and we must prove to be better than that as a society moving forward. Now more than ever, it is essential that we are all considerate of those around us and take the time not just to listen to others, but to understand their perspectives and learn where they come from. Even if an opinion differs from your own, do not belittle it, treat it as wrong, or vilify that person saying it. Take the time to hear why the other person feels the way they do and communicate to them why you feel differently. Understand that beyond all else, we exist on the same earth, in the same moment, and all desire a world where social equality and justice exist for all, regardless of one's race, social standing, or place of birth. And again, I know most of you folks don't turn here to hear about politics, to hear about things outside of the tennis world, but we felt it was important here at Crack Rackets to show that we're not ignoring what's going on in the world. We are well aware of what is happening right now with so many folks. People are scared, uh, whether it's the coronavirus pandemic, whether it's what's going on now in so many cities. You know, if you are a member of color, you're afraid of what's going to happen when you interact with the police, especially in a time right like right now. Uh, so we just wanted to share our thoughts on what is going on. Hopefully you all uh, enjoyed that, and if you have thoughts you want to share with us, please, you know our DMs are open, whether it's a message to Cracked Rackets, whether it's a message to me personally at Great Shot Pod. Uh, more than anything right now, we're all just looking for support. We're all looking for friends we can turn to, and that's why we here at Cracked Rackets value all of you throughout the tennis community, because you are our family. You are the people we turn to, regardless of what else is going on in 
the world for comfort, for that sense of community. And so, you know, we feel that now more than ever. Uh, But of course, we also wanted to give you guys a little bit of tennis to talk about on a Monday because the tennis world keeps on rocking and rolling and we see so many differing developments, the emergent of exhibition events, talking about is professional tennis about to come back, ATP, WTA, ITF, all of these things in play. Of course, the player relief funds, what those are going to look like. We've talked about the Grand Slams, but what does the challenger circuit look like when things get back? It's an international circuit. There are events across the globe. How, as a player, do you schedule your events when you don't know what the schedule is going to look like? And those are all the topics we hit with today's guest on the Mini Break Podcast, a returning guest here at Cracked Rackets, a guy you, of course, know well from the success he's had both in college and on the Pro Tour, uh, JC Aragoni, who we talk about just that. We talk about, again, for him, what it's been like to go through this quarantine, uh, what this pandemic is like, how it's affected his training schedule, his personal life, dealing with the ATP and the ITF, his thoughts on, you know, the organizations and how they've done thus far. And of course, if you don't know about JC, he's also someone who, given uh, he has type 1 diabetes, given what he's gone through health-wise earlier in his life, you know, he is someone who is more susceptible to the more dangerous effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so he talks about the fear that he has of, sure, play can return to normal, but what if the precautions aren't there for him? He's still going to be more at risk than the average person. So he shares candid insights into all of that as well. And then, of course, we have a bunch of fun at the end, as we always do. He talks about what he's been doing in quarantine, his new hobby of mixology, which for those of you who don't know, that means he's become quite the bartender, all of that and so much more. It's a bunch of fun. So I know all of you are about to enjoy that. Quickly, before we get there, though, I have to let you know that these podcasts are made possible day in, day out on the mini break due to the support that we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. And for more than 20 years, Midwest Sports has served as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers. And it's because they offer a comprehensive selection of fast shipping supplies that few retailers can match. I mean, it's over tens of thousands of products available for shipping directly from their automated warehouse to your front door. And best of all, their equipment are consistently first to market. And they pride themselves in stocking their warehouse with the newest products at the lowest prices. And again, maybe you're a little bit off your own tennis game. You don't know. You know, you're not in the shape that you were two, three, four, five months ago, maybe even two, three, four, five years ago, and you just haven't updated your gear recently. And you want to know what is the best racket I should turn to? What are the strings and the tensions and the shoes I should be wearing? The best part is the staff at Midwest Sports intimately familiar with all of that tennis equipment and can help you find that perfect racket, perfect shoe, or perfect tennis clothing that is sure to put you ahead of the competition. You can find all of their stuff at their website, MidwestSports.com. And once you're there, you're going to want to order yourself some stuff up. I guarantee it. So you're going to do that. And then you'll think to yourself, wow, I'm already saving so much money, but do I have good news for you? You use our promo code CR15. Not only will you get 15% off of your purchase, not only will you get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75, but the best part of it all, they're going to send you a free can of Wilson extra duty tennis balls to ensure that you have all you need for when you make your return to the tennis court. So go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15 to let them know that we sent you there and get 15% off, free two-day shipping over $75, and a brand new can of tennis balls. We are so grateful for their support. The least we can do is ask you to go support them as well. MidwestSports.com, the promo code is CR15. All right, with that being said, let's get to my conversation with the one and only JC Aragoni. Thank you. 
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Joining us on the podcast today, you of course know him as a former three-time NCAA champion at the University of Virginia, a guy who is a top 300 singles and doubles player on the ATP Tour, and of course a returning guest to this show, JC Aragoni. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks for the very, very energetic uh, introduction. Well, you know, our listeners aren't going to get to hear it, but I screwed up the first one, so I thought I'd have to make up for it with round number two. Um, But no, it's obviously our pleasure to have you back. Uh, I mentioned this last time. I will always say this as someone who was the class of 2013. It felt fun rooting for your Virginia teams because it was like, yeah, my grade's really good at tennis. We're better than all the other ones. So uh, it's always a pleasure to have you back on. How are you holding up? How's life in quarantine? Uh, it's good. Um, we just actually drove up from Washington D.C. or drove down, so it took probably 16 hours. It was kind of kind of a grind, but there was no way I was getting myself on a on a plane at the moment. So I don't know. Been doing a lot of the same: waking up, uh, reading books, doing some puzzles. I don't know. Is there anything else to do? <laughs> no, definitely not. I literally and... just started hitting on what was it when I got here Friday? So. Yeah, is it was it nice to get back out on the court? Uh, it was very difficult. I mean, it is so much hotter here than it was in Virginia. Like I, I think it was like eighty six, which is a pretty average day in Miami, and I was dying. My hands are all chewed up from the, you know, the grip. Is it, it's a it's tough getting back in the swing of things. Mm-hmm. Is the tougher adjustment the phys- the physical part or the tennis part? You know, is the forehand, the backhand, a couple weeks off? It's still there, I imagine. I don't know. I'm confused because I've been doing fitness like twice a day, every day, and I hit on the court for like 45 minutes and I'm huffing and puffing and I can't, I'm just, it it makes no sense to me. So I guess probably just the tennis fitness is just a different kind of fitness you're probably not used to doing every day. Um, But yeah, this is strokes you get, you get back pretty quickly. I mean, I'm sure in a week or two, I'll be more than fine. How are the blisters? I noticed, and not that I played at the frequency of you, but I played a lot growing up, and now now that I've stopped, my hand is just torn to shreds whenever I play. Yeah, it's really amazing how they, you know, you take a few weeks, and I was, like, looking at my hand, I still had calluses, and um, it wasn't like I had, you know, baby smooth hands, and the first day, you can already start getting the blood blisters, and and all that stuff, but my fa- my go-to is the super glue. I literally super glue my, I mean, my hand. Like, I wish I could get sponsored by a super glue company because any sort of callus blister, I just throw so much Gorilla Glue on there. <laughs> yeah, they'll put that in the near future. I recall, I think it was the 2017 NCAA final. You had some sort of wrap around your hand. Yeah, I had, it was weird. I had like a bone growth on the top of my wrist that was killing me. And I guess if they were doing like this crazy tape job just to get me through it. it it was really weird I don't even know what was going on there but it looked intimidating so we, we ran with it <laughs> yeah that super glue I, I feel like it all works and I heard you mention this when you talked to Julia Elbaba on her podcast and I apologize if I butchered that last name pronunciation but uh you guys you know she asked you what it's like as a tennis player and I'm I've asked this to a lot of guests we've had recently as well uh, I imagine you know I know you've had some health breaks in between but when you're competing you know playing tennis 
tennis full time. It's an every day, every week sort of grind. And when was the last time you had a period like this where you weren't competing every week? You weren't focused on what's going on with your tennis game at all times of every day? Well, I think this is what makes it even more depressing is usually when you have a period like this is because of an injury, you know? So like you kind of understand, like, I can't physically play. I am injured. So the fact that you are sitting in your apartment knowing you are physically fit enough to go play and you can't I think that's what made it that much harder um but again you got to take it for what it is it's nice to get a break I mean I can imagine as soon as the tour gets back in the swing of things we're gonna go all out zero to 100 I'm sure guys will play like 30 weeks in a row no, it'll it'll absolutely be chaos. And, you know, I saw you tweet out today and, you know, we've talked about it in the past. You were in a coma when you were younger. You have type 1 diabetes. And obviously you've, you know, been able to overcome every obstacle in your pathway, had a successful pro career. But given what we know about the coronavirus, the fact that people who have compromised immune systems are more likely to see more severe symptoms, um, you know, how scary is that for you right now to go out on the practice court? You talked about you know you don't want to jump on a plane right now the fact that when the tour comes back you know you you know people want to make up for the time they lost they want to go get points they want to go make a living uh how difficult is it for you to balance going to chase all that and knowing that you are more at risk than the average population yeah well i I mean i tweeted it today because i saw that was a great article but that's been something that's kind of been on my mind the last few weeks and i've honestly been kind of scared to talk about it because i feel like when i mention it to other athletes they don't they don't understand. They kind of don't, they don't share the same understanding as me because of course, like I'm on their side. I haven't made any money. I need to get back out there. I would love to play, but at the same time, like I don't, I don't feel comfortable, you know, like how am I going to all of a sudden stay in a hotel for a week? How am I going to get on a flight? Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I just feel like it's, it's different coming from a normal athlete to another normal athlete. But for me having such a high risk case, like, it definitely, you know, I could have easily gone on a plane and come here to Miami, but I felt like that was not safe. So I had to get a car. I hosed it down with Clorox. You don't understand the cleaning. I mean, Avis, Avis should be paying me for what I did to their car, but <laughs> it, it, it is scary. And um, I, I don't know. I would just hope that the ATP tour takes proper measures to make it safe for everyone. You know, I have a million questions. Like what happens if one person gets sick at a tournament? Like do you cancel the whole tournament? Do you, you know, I feel like there's a lot of unanswered questions and I would love to see some sort of clarity at least going forward. And we have spent so much time over the past couple of months talking about, you know, the governing structures in professional tennis. There is an ATP organization, there's a players council, but there's no formal union. What has the communication looked like between those governing bodies, between those players that represent all everyone on the player council and, you know, the thousands of professional tennis players out there just waiting to learn information about when the pro tour is going to resume? Uh, I think my biggest problem is I hear things that are going to happen before they're announced from people that you'd be like, how the heck does this person know they aren't a play? Like, it it really bothers me that I get a text from someone. Oh, I heard that it's getting pushed back till August. And I'm like, how do you know? Like, I haven't gotten an email. How do you know about the player fund? How do you know? It's like, I feel like the communication needs to be much clearer, much better. You know, it's just so so up in the air with everything you don't know when you're going to hear back i mean the player fund was great they announced it but i think i got my money yesterday and you know like 
what happened those two weeks. Like, there's just no communication. It's just like, yeah, you guys will get the money when you get it. And like, there needs to be a better structure of how they communicate with us and how decisions are made. Yeah, no, no, no question about that. I, I am curious your thoughts, though, because, you know, you look at a sport like tennis and there are so many competing interests, right? There's the governing bodies, there are the tournaments, there are the local or the national federations. And then, you know, every tennis player is different, right? Because it's not a team sport. You are looking out for yourself, trying to play the tournaments that will most benefit you. I mean, how many, you know, those competing interests, do you think that's part of the reason why these governing structures, you know, aren't at a place where they should be, that the communication isn't where it is because you know the well, interest for, for starters, you might be so yeah sorry go ahead no for starters why can't they just send one email i'm tired of getting like <laughs> the atp email the itf email the us like it's like the, the atp email and the itf email says the same thing and it's like come on can we not join at least an email chain where it's like the atp part the itf part why does it have to be like like i feel like even small things like that like I'm not saying you have to, you know, join and be one, but can we not get on the same page of how we're communicating the players? Uh, I mean, it, it's simple things that I feel like could make a huge, huge difference, at least in the way you receive information. Like I would feel much better being like, oh, I got an email from, you know, the ATP and the ITF. They're on the same page. I feel like if not, it's like I could get one email saying one thing, one email saying a completely different thing. And they end up being very similar. So it's things like that that I, I feel like we could just do a better job. Yeah, and, you know, the idea of a tennis commissioner is not new, and sorry for the plug here, but we talked to former ATP CEO Mark Miles a couple of weeks ago on our show, and he talked about it's just very difficult to, you know, ask all of these uh, organizations which have such differing interests. You know, the ITF isn't looking out for the same players as the ATP, as the WTA, because they're making money in different ways than those organizations. There are, it, it just seems, you know, we it, it's very easy to say the players should unionize, right? But I agree with you. There could be an email chain, a Zoom, you know, some sort of group chat between the three communications directors and just be like, hey, we're sending out an email today. Are you guys in on this? And it's like, yeah, we all approve the draft. Uh, it should be simpler than it is. Yeah, and I'm. I mean, again, you talk about the player union, but it's it's a lot harder than you think to form stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like especially since there is such a distinction between the top and the bottom. Like I'm sure you talk to someone like Rafa, and he probably doesn't want anything to change. You know, he's. I'm pretty sure he's openly said that he's happy how the ATP tour is, and um, you know he thinks it's structured well and stuff. So it, it's hard when you don't get. Um, the big three kind of behind it. I know Djokovic has been more open about it, but it, it really is. I mean, it's not easy to get a, a union going. I, I'm sure I know there's guys trying, but um, it's a whole uphill battle. Yeah. And I'm glad you bring up the logistical challenges because, you know, just candidly, how frequently do you talk to your fellow players? You know, how big are the scales of conversations you guys are having about these issues? Um, I mean, it's just, it's tough because, it's just so divided, you know, like there's mm-hmm. players who really think the the ATP is going to step in and kind of save everybody. And then there's players who think the ATP is not going to do anything. And it's, um, it, it, it's tough because again, we have so much unknown that it, it's hard to kind of make that, that step forward because we don't know what is going to happen. Like the whole player fund at least was a step forward, but that all took forever to kind of, initiate and to get moving and you know if it wasn't for Djokovic I think that really kind of got the ball in motion was it ever going to happen 
No, that's a really good question to ask, especially because, again, the it took the players saying, hey, we're coming up with this initiative to get money from ourselves to distribute to other players. And then finally, you saw the SLAM step up and you saw these ATP, WTA, ITF organizations step up. I agree with you. It's just so it, disorganized is the best word of saying it there. Again, to keep repeating this point, there are just so many competing interests. And how, how does somebody in my rank or somebody within not in the top? 30 or 40 or 50 go about starting a player union because if you think about it if you're going to if you're going to go against somebody like the ATP you need to do it right you need to get legal representation you need you know it's not oh I'm going to do this and sign petitions and then we get the ball rolling like you're going you're trying to make change you need to have you know a well organized and it's hard for players like me who don't have the money to make that change or who don't have because again I don't think it's as easy as you can just write down and boom, get signatures and then go to the ATP and that's how you make change. No, I completely agree with you. You also have to negotiate international law because it's not just going to be American players in this union. It's going to be players from throughout the world who would want to be a part of it. And I agree that requires a collaboration effort that requires resources just being sunk into it, resources that it's clear that so many players, you know, outside of the top 10 just don't have at their disposal. And so, yeah, you know, again, for you personally during this time period, uh, getting that player relief check, as you mentioned, uh, it, it's not, you know, the ideal situation, but did it help? help yeah i mean uh, originally i didn't feel great about the you know the players having to step in like obviously i guess if i was in their position i would want to help out but at the same time it, it felt weird you know going to take money from fellow players like i, I it just it would for me it wouldn't be um it just would feel different, you know, like it's, it's one thing coming from the ATP, somebody who's kind of, you think is looking out for you, but then from other players, as much as I, I appreciated it. And I thought this is amazing. If I was in their position, I'd want to do it. It just felt, felt a little off. Um, so it was nice finally when the ATP stepped forward and they got involved and of course, yeah, it helps. Um, it, you know, it's amazing how we are in now in what June and we just got it. So that that takes a long time. I mean, the tour stopped what March 10th, Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I'm, I'm sure, right. Like, I think I saw Riley tweet out how the, the WTA had already given the women the money for the Indian Wells. I don't know if that's true or not, but if so, like, why didn't the men get it? Like, there's just a lot that I think took a lot of time and wasn't very well organized. Like, what, I mean, the player relief fund was announced a while ago. What did they do with that $6 million? Did it just sit in an account? Did it go out immediately? I mean, I got my money yesterday. Um, like when we play tournaments, you know, it takes four or five days to get your money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I mean, again, there, it, it just is so clear that there have been so many uh, issues, so many missteps throughout this process, and there will be countless case studies in business schools throughout the world uh, about, you know, the results of this COVID-19, how various organizations responded to it. Uh, in terms of returning to competition, I'm, you know, again, we're all hearing the same things at this point right now. It's a tentative August 1st. Do you expect professional tennis? You know, we've seen exhibition events emerge, sure, throughout the globe, but do you expect tour-sanctioned events to return in 2020? Um, well, if you would have asked me this a month or two ago, two months ago, I would have said, no way, I don't see it returning at all. But I feel like because of the fact that there is the U.S. Open in August, I think they're trying to do everything possible to push for the start. Do I think it's safe? No. But, again... I'm, I don't know what they're going to do. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it starts up in August. 
Um, am I a fan of that? No. But I'm also, I have a million questions because I, I don't know, like, what are challengers going to look like? Are we going to start the tour in August with no challengers? Or I haven't really gotten a, a new schedule or any, like, I don't know what, I'm not, I'm definitely not playing DC. The cut for that's going to be like 48. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I completely agree with you there. Where are you traveling to? It doesn't, you can't just, you know, uh, flights are cheap right now, but it's not like you can just be like, yeah, I'm going to Turkey for three challengers. It's just that simple. It doesn't work that quickly. Um, I, you, you sort of mentioned this earlier, but, you know, and it's a candid question, so I, I feel bad for asking it, but, you know, is there a world where if there's no vaccine, if you don't feel comfortable, you would just sit out this 2020 season? Again, uh, I mean, trust me, I'm in a boat where I've had a million different, I, I've even had, I'm supposed to get married in November and I've had to be like, man, am I going to be able to do that? Like, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, like what, if there's a vaccine, would I take it? Yes, of course. Would I, would that make me feel more comfortable? Yes. But again, ultimately does the vaccine make everything go back to normal? No. So I, I don't know. Um, I, I think, again, I, I don't know. I've always been thinking like, man, they're going to keep pushing it back. And then they push it back just a little bit. Like I was expecting for them to push it way farther back than just go like a month at a time. So I really have no clue what the ATP is going to do. Um, if it comes August 3rd and that's the start date, I'm going to have to really think hard and make a decision. Um, because it's obviously hard to see your peers competing and you sitting at home for a longer time. But at the same time, you want to do what's best for you mm -hmm. no without question well you bring up the fact that you're getting married first of all mazel tov to you uh it's obviously awesome to hear and i do want to talk a little bit about you know what's gone on with you over these past couple of years because i think we last talked to you in april of 2018 and you know play stopped in march but you got to play two full years of professional tour events since then and you know obviously you've worked your way into the top 300 in singles you've worked your way into the top 200 in doubles as you look at your first two you know two and a half full years on tour you know have you had some t time to reflect on it what have been your takeaways thus far from your pro experience um i guess just to put in one sentence sometimes i think you got to be at the right place at the right time <laughs> i think that's, that's how you describe professional tennis sometimes um no i feel like i i mean i'm every time i you know analyze with my coach i feel like i'm playing the best tennis ever i think with tennis sometimes you just have to get on a little bit of a hot streak and win a couple of matches, get some confidence, and things things can turn on a dime. It is hard uh, dealing with kind of, you know, when things are going well, managing that because a lot of times then you have injuries. Like I remember after the I played at the Open, I ended up sitting out for six months, and that for me mentally killed me. Um, and then sometimes it always feels like whenever you're starting to build that momentum, something gets in the way or you have some sort of, you know, emotional issue. or It, it, it really is hard to build steam in tennis. And that's where I kind of feel like I need to make the next step is using, you know, the confidence and the momentum. But, it, you know, tennis is a diff difficult sport and it's all year round and um, you kind of have to take what you can get sometimes. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about being at the right place at the right time. You know, from last year, you made the quarterfinals in Bangkok in February, and then you didn't make the quarterfinals at the Challenger Rounder later till Lexington at the end yeah. of July. And as you mentioned, you're playing good tennis. There are losses in there where it's 7-5, 7-6 in the third. Even at the beginning of this year, you know, I was at, at the Ann Arbor Challenger doing the play-by-play, -play, and I got to watch your match with Ulysses Blanche. And, you know, that was a match. That's an either-or through the first two sets. If two points go differently, you win that 
match. You know, how do you, you know, maintain confidence, not get frustrated when, again, you're you're losing 7-5, 7-6 in the third, and it's like, what can I do? Yeah, and again, it's like little things like that. Like, I was playing great tennis in Ann Arbor, and then I was playing Fenty literally the first match, and I have a terrible back spasm. And it's like I'm playing great, and I'm trying to deal with that the whole tournament. And then that kind of was hindering me. And then that leads into Bangkok, which then the back muscle turns into an ab strain, which then I have to pull out of Bangkok, fly back to Newport, try to play there. I was basically serving at like 20 miles an hour. So, like, again, that's what I'm talking about. Like, I'm playing great tennis, and there's always something that I feel like is getting in the way, is getting in the way, and it just doesn't let you at least, you know, get that steam that you feel like you're building. Mm-hmm. But you are playing great tennis, and do you take solace in that? The fact that you know last year you qualified for a two fifty, you know your first yeah, after ATP losing what twelve matches in a row, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something crazy like that. So I guess you know again, how do you balance the two? Uh, it, it really that was a tough tough period in in my life, just because um, you know that was my first I think full season of okay, I'm going to play a full clay court swing. And obviously you go into that with that mentality of like, oh, hopefully I can get some matches under my belt. And I think the first couple tournaments I had some, um, I had some easy, not easy matches, but winnable matches. And obviously I was trying to get my footing on the clay and get the confidence and it would have been great to win those. But the fact that I didn't win those, then when I finally started figuring it out, I got some really bad draws. Like I remember first round qualities in Geneva, I played a guy like 50 in the world, like, come on help me out the week before I play I lose in the semi like it was just like I started getting some tough draws and then you just start losing that confidence and then I had a tough one against Ernesto six and a third I had match points like it's just those little things that um you know you just kind of kind of need to get over and then I guess in Antalya when I qualified I think I was just so tired of losing I was just like come on it's got like I was it was laughable at that point I was like I, I gotta get something going so obviously at the beginning of the year uh, going into after Indian Wells, I was like, man, I'm flying free here. I don't have points until July. Like, I'm great. So then when the stop <laughs> happened, I'm like, again, like, could I not be at the right place at the right time? Just one. <laughs> No, I mean, no kidding about that. Well, again, I think this is the question that you're going to swear at me at, so you know, I'll preface it there. Um, you talk about your struggles on clay last year, and I'm looking at your career stats. And again, if I tell you you're 123 and 92 on hard courts, that's pretty damn good. You know, four on four, limited reps on the grass, but again, to be 500 at this point, really good. Uh, the one that stands out, 11 and 17 on the clay. <laughs> What was it about the clay? I mean, what is it, I suppose, about the clay that just didn't click for you last year? Because, you know, superficially, I see the movement. You are way too good of an athlete to not, you know, show that off on the clay. What what wasn't working for you, you know, that first year taking a full season of clay events? I don't know. I'm speechless. 11, 17, yes, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I guess, I guess, um, I guess just not getting the reps like in college we never played on clay like when that's the one thing I think I I think college tennis is terrible for a player is they only play on fast surfaces like I never had to go and practice on hard like it would be amazing to see if they could do a sort of swing but it's impossible um but I think the four years I didn't step foot on a clay court once so that killed me and then it's just a different mentality I think I think it's uh, it's it's just different and to be honest with you i hate green clay i don't know what it is like i i just i 
It's just hate fake. It, dude. It's bullshit. It's awful. Yeah, it's, it's awful. ridiculous. It's like it it feels completely different than red clay. So it it bothers me. Like it just it's bothered me ever since they decided to turn the orange bowl from beautiful hardcores to green clay at plantation. I hated it ever since then. So, you know, maybe the USTA scarred me, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's just different. I even prefer. I think hard. I mean, I think red clay is much better. So I wish we had more of that. But no. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you there. And again, uh, I think your success on the hard court shows. Uh, yeah, the faster sur- surfaces when you can move forward. Even the success you've had on grass, I think that's, you know, faster surfaces clearly suit your game. Getting more reps in on the clay, uh, you know, I'm sure will help for you. And in terms of, again, because you had a stretch, you know, uh, February through uh, early, I should say late June, sorry, I'm mixing up all the dates here, where things weren't going your way singles-wise. But during that stretch, you win Indian Wells doubles with Marcos. You win Winnetka with Bradley. You're playing doubles throughout all of this time. Did that help you to have success on the doubles court where even if things weren't clicking perfectly in singles, you could still take some comfort that, hey, my game is producing results? Yeah, I think the doubles saves me so much. I think it was, I mean, I had a great doubles year last year, and I think that was because, um, you know, struggling in singles, I needed to get a win, and I took it seriously. I know a lot of singles guys sometimes don't take the doubles as serious, and I take the doubles as, look, I this gives me confidence. Like, I remember last year I was planning on playing Newport because I think the, was it the year before I'd qualified yeah, I'd qualified the year before, so I had points to defend, and I really liked that tournament. I played well on grass, and I told Bradley, I'm like, look, if we make finals of doubles, I'm not going to tank it. Like, I want, like, you know, like, I, for me, winning a doubles challenger was great. It was a huge amount of confidence. It it also gives you a little bit more of respect. Like, I know, I, know, I mean, not to sound bad, but a lot of the doubles guys at least respect you a little more that you're not tanking doubles to go focus on singles, so... We ended up, you know, winning that, and for me, that even though I didn't get to play Newport, I was I was happy with that decision, and it, it you know, it helps me on the singles court, I think, to go out there, be professional. I get to work on stuff I never get to work on. I never serve volley in singles. Uh, I need to work on returns. I need to work on serves. So it, I think it's it's amazing for me. I've seen you hit that kick serve on the ad side and sneak in behind it. I wouldn't say you never yeah. serve volley in singles. No, but I guess in sing- it's just different mentality. In doubles, <laughs> I literally play like I'm going at it at, at all times. Like I'm coming in, I'm aggressive, I'm not, you know. So it's different. It's weird how usually you see sing- sometimes singles players who play really good doubles, they're the guys that are more aggressive on the court coming in a lot or um, return really, really well in singles. I somehow return really well in doubles if I don't return that well in singles <laughs> sometimes. So I don't know. Um it's weird yeah I guess my mentality changes yeah and you know again you won that final in Winnetka with Brad and you guys beat Ty and Chris Eubanks in the final and you know I happen to have had the chance to speak with so many members of that UVA men's tennis team so I have a little bit of insight into some of the rivalries that were just you know within that team more satisfying winning that challenger final over Ty or beating Colin in Tiburon I think neither. I think it's so awkward going out there. Like, I, I hate it. I personally feel so uncomfortable. Like, I remember when I beat uh, Colin in Tiburon, he didn't even, he, like, basically didn't even want to shake my hand. And I was like, dude, what did I do to you? Like, I thought we were, like, you know, I consider Colin a really good friend of mine. So, I, and I understand it's, like, heat of the moment. And you, you know, you don't want to, you want to win. That's what we're out there to do. But at the same time, like, I, 
I don't want to see, I don't want to play against UVA guys, not because I'm scared, but because I don't want to, you know, you would like break, there to be yeah, two winners. Like, yeah. So again, for me, it's, it's really awkward. Like as much as I root for them, uh, if, if it were to happen that, you know, if I win my match and they win my match, we play each other. I honestly might rather have them lose. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I completely can understand that. And again, for you at the end of last season, you sort of mentioned it, uh, you know, you make semifinals in Cary, you make semifinals in Lexington. You are, you know, starting to build some momentum with your results started out this year, pretty strong. Uh, how are you feeling about the state of your tennis game? What would you say are the things you have improved the most, you know, to translate to the pro game over these past couple of years? Um, I'm feeling great about my serve right now because, uh, in Washington, I had nobody to hit with, but I had a private court. So I probably hit about two hours worth of serves every day. <laughs> uh, I felt so bad for these people, man. They gave me this clay court. And I think cause I dragged my foot so much, I hit so many serves. I left like probably a six inch, just divot Dip on it. both sides. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, they were like, man, these chipmunks are getting at the court. I'm like, yeah, they're vicious guys. I'm I, I couldn't fix it. I tried everything. I was like, you know, scooping clay, putting on it. And then again, I go hit an hour of serves and the same thing would happen. So um, I think I've worked a ton on that. Um, I, I think I'm playing great. I just think I, I need to get out there and see what happens. Yeah, no kidding. How, you know, having that serve and having that forehand, you know, how important is it to have a weapon to end points quickly as you ascend up the ranks? Yeah, I think you need to. I mean, I guess when you get really high up, those guys all like every shot is pretty much a weapon for them. <laughs> sure. But for us uh, little guys over here, I think you need to have something maybe that that separates you from the pack that at least, you know, you can. I think it's more mentally, you know, it's, it's kind of like your go to like, you know, in big points, if you get a forehand, you can put it away. And, you know, it also helps knowing that the opponent fears you a little bit if like I, I have no problem playing someone where I know, oh, he's just going to get balls back and isn't going to hurt me. As much as that is a weapon, I would much rather play that guy than say somebody like Eubanks or Opelka who has a cannon. You're just like, like they take the, the ball out of your hands. Like that I think is a lot more intimidating than somebody who's just going to put balls in play, which at the same time is a great strength. I wish I had some of that. <laughs> no, that's completely fair. And, you know, yeah, as you mentioned it, um, you know, you talked about using momentum from one week and carrying it over to the next. And you've mentioned you'd like to return a little bit better in singles as well. But what are the things at, you know, when we get back out competing and pro tour, we, I say we, when you get back out competing on the pro tour that, you know, you're going to work to improve the most? can't tell you all my secrets and then people are gonna start <laughs> picking on that but god um, willing they're all listening to the show yeah clearly i need to work on my clay court game what the hell's going on there <laughs> 11 and 17 i'm gonna play a full full clay court schedule to pick that up at some point yeah, gotta, to I, got, I gotta at least bat 500 i think that <laughs> that is more than doable um yeah. but i don't know i guess um i've been working a lot on the mental part i started working with a uh, sports um psychologist uh probably a year ago he's been helping a lot um so i got a lot of issues going on up there so i think that would <laughs> that would help me a lot but we'll see yeah no that makes sense then six months in europe better health care better options for that it'll be a time yeah exactly or yeah, I, yeah, right. maybe they could play more grass events that might help too at least there i'm batting 500 
<laughs> Win-win, it sounds like. Um, well, then, you know, again, a couple of fun questions for you down the home stretch here. Uh, I have been a fan of all of the JC Tennis Quarantine content that you've been producing. Um, oh, you know, is I'm that glad. just... It, yeah, just, oh, of course. I mean, there's the one of you using your tennis racket as a waiter. That was exceptional. Um, I, you know, it, 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 we were going to do a segment like it for something that we do. I was going to have some fun with it, but I was like, ah, oh, no, that one's good on its own. Just leave it be. But, you know, what's the inspiration behind that? Are you just having fun at home? Um, I guess I was really, really bored for a time, and people <laughs> were like, I got tired of people, like, texting me, like, hey, what are you doing? Hey, how are you? Like, as much as I love people reaching out, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to like start sh- like, cause people always complain. They're like, Oh, you never post anything like family members and stuff. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know this. So I was like, all right, you know, I'll, I'll be a little more active. I have time. I'm not really doing much. Um, so I, I don't know. I just kind of went with it and then you just kind of get in the habit of doing it. I think before I was really just, I, I didn't, I was kind of that person on Instagram who would look at everybody's stories and kind of, you know, comment and stuff but never wanted to post anything so i was like yeah give it a try try something else for once so hopefully it's not terrible no 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 no. it's it's definitely working for you i mean some people go the route of they're gonna cook in public right now it's like everything i'm cooking i'm showing you some people go the content creation route it's really just up to you and you know you were in dc were you with your fiance at her parents house yeah i think you're from california right yeah, I'm from California, so I was there at her parents' house, and we just kind of, like, again, my weeks were so slow, so we always had the Friday night uh, cocktail hour, so, like, since everybody was working, <laughs> they finished at 5, so I'm not doing anything, so at 4.45, I'm getting all the drinks ready, and we would try, I mean, we we had a month of, like, doing old-fashioned, and I, I tried every recipe you can imagine. We even had, like, the smoked ones. We did everything, so, like, I was just learning to do new things, and um i was kind of posting about it and i actually got a lot of good responses some people even wanted me to start like a like a i don't know alcohol review channel i was like okay whatever <laughs> like I'm not saying i'm gonna do that because i don't know if that's good for the image or the branding you know type 1 diabetic posting all about alcohol <laughs> but but um i was surprised that people were enjoying it so i was like all right i'll keep going and if people don't like it then they can just unfollow me it's fine it's not you know i don't i don't take i don't get butthurt about that <laughs> no, I'm going to use the power of the peer pressure podcast pulpit. That's the quadruple P, by the way, is what we call it affectionately. Um, we here at Cracked Rackets do a weekly show called Overserved, where we poke fun at yeah. all of you know the various stuff. All I'm saying is J.C. Aragoni reviewing alcohol is literally an Overserved segment. So should you want to do one a week, we have space for you in the show. Yeah, I mean, I just I just lock, loaded my bar. I, I get a whole other shipment of alcohol on Monday. Um, and when I tell you, like we were, we tried maybe 25 different rye whiskeys to make old fashions. And I was calling stores. Like I can tell you where to get uh, alcohol delivered to your house from like six different places. And they know me now, like by heart because I, you know, it was hard. Plus I was in Virginia, you know, how hard it is to get alcohol delivered in Virginia. Like (laughs) they have like the ABC rule. So you're technically, it's technically not legal to get alcohol delivered in Virginia. And I was finding loopholes. So, um, so yeah, that, that'd be great. I have all kinds of reviews. I'm, I'm like a connoisseur now. All right. Well, I expect a text then. One or two is going to head <laughs> your way. There's definitely something we can do. Are you a guy who grinds up his own mint, you know, his own uh, condiment or whatever the stuff is that you yeah, put in you got, drink the, as well? You mean, the, you mean the muddle? Yeah, of course I got the yeah. muddler going. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I go to so far to like I've tried every sort of bitters. I've tried I, I like I've tried different cherries for drinks. Like as in like the cherry's gonna really make a make a difference. Yeah, well then, and that in mind, when you're mixing, you're putting together your perfect cocktail. A, what does that look like? And B, I know you once upon a time had an affinity for shotgunning Diet Cokes at the airport. Does the Diet oh, yeah. Coke make an appearance into the drink? I think that that video was more because I loved the shotgun. And at the time, all I had was a Diet Coke. <laughs> so I think that was more of like a fun take. But my, I mean, I love anything with tequila. I love tequila. I love uh, I love whiskey, and I'm really into scotch lately. So um, again, I'm I'm very simple. I like fresh ingredients, lime, fresh orange juice. I don't buy that. I don't use that BS. You know, I, I do the the full squeeze. Uh, I like it spicy, so you, you got to have some cucumber in there. Um, I don't know. I make I make all good kinds of drinks. I, I don't complicate it. Mm-hmm. What would, so you have all your wide variety. You're not a one type. You know, if it's you, it's a comfort hour. You know, you're sitting back. Congratulations, semifinals of the challenger. Congratulations, you won Winnetka. What are you making for yourself next time? Well, it depends. Like if I've been drinking a lot, I mean, I used to go at it with. Uh, I, I used to make a Vesper Martini, which is gin and vodka and basically a, a little bit of lemon. Uh, but now I have, like, if I do that now where I stopped drinking like last week to try to start training again, I'd probably be like, wow, this is strong as hell. So it depends how much I've been drinking. Um, I mean, I love like a good Marg, but I'm not talking like your fake Marg. Like I, I make a homemade Marg with natural stuff, good jalapenos that taste amazing. I'll drink normal, just good tequila on the rocks. Um, I'm a huge scotch guy now. I'll have a couple. Those are easy to throw back too. But I don't know. It just depends what kind of mood I'm in. I love a good yeah. beer. I can drink anything, really. <laughs> no, this is an exceptional content. This is the topic I was looking for when we started today's show. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah we started. It's... We started way too aggressive with the union. <laughs> I don't know what. I was like, what have I got myself in? Forty minutes of this. <laughs> no, this you know, I get the. Yeah, they get the tough stuff out of the way early. Yeah, well, if you uh, if you want to talk about shotgun diet cokes, you should ask Alex Richard if he's ever he used to be into shotgunning beers with protein shakes. So, if you ever <laughs> see him, you should ask which protein goes best with which beer, uh, how, and how that tastes. No, I think he's the only one I haven't interviewed yet of your team, so I'm putting it on the list. Uh, since we're on the topic of Virginia, I have heard that, and I'm not sure if it was your junior or your senior season, but that they almost lost you for the year due to a hand injury. Is there any truth to that? And, you know, playing through an injury like that, what is that like? Yeah, so actually, uh, it probably actually made my my backhand better, but um, <laughs> I had, I had a, a stress fracture on my growth plate in my wrist so i guess my growth plate hasn't hadn't closed yet and um we didn't know what was wrong with it so we kept giving it cortisone and the cortisone was actually making the bone weaker so since the growth plate hadn't closed which is not normal it it ended up getting a fracture in the growth plate which takes forever to heal um so i i could hit a backhand but i couldn't finish the stroke like i couldn't go over the stroke so i actually ended up learning basically i was hitting like under spin backhands um to try to get through it but it was it was really long it took i mean it took forever to heal and um yeah i mean i didn't know what was going to happen i honestly but thankfully it it was good enough to where i could get by and Mm -hmm. 
we kind of just rolled with that. But in the summer, I didn't hit a backhand, I think, for like four months or three months. No, that's brutal. I've also heard, and again, we, we can keep this, I suppose, off the record. Don't have to get into the details. I've heard there was an encounter with a wall and that your hand lost the occasion, or maybe it was a window. True or false? Oh, that was a different injury. But yeah, maybe keep that one up. <laughs> that, that was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, I guess that I just always saw in movies that, you know, windows were like i thought windows are easy to to break i don't know i, I guess they're not especially in the freezing yeah. 20 degree weather yeah it was a science experiment that went wrong we can yeah leave that. exactly yeah no exactly. we can leave that there for sure well then again you, you've talked about becoming a mixologist uh during quarantine and all of these other things and again i heard you mention this with julia but for you to not have a routine at this point and i know you're getting back into it but you know does it make you more excited to get back on the tennis court having you know a nice little two-month sabbatical i suppose um yeah i guess i guess the first month and a half i wasn't bothered at all like i was at peace with it i was okay hanging out whatever i think the last like two weeks i was going nuts i was like all the time i was like i was driving my fiance nuts i was like when are we leaving like as much as i love your parents like i need to be on a court i need to get back to my structure like it's nice to a certain degree i guess everybody just hits their wall and i hit my wall like two weeks ago and i was a pain to live with but at least now i i'm back to practicing and um maybe i'll teach a few lessons make some money but you know it's it's nice to be back yeah no for sure i i you know we i live in cr headquarters with our super producer and i swear he schedules interviews just so that he doesn't have to talk to me for an hour at a time i'm like yeah that makes sense at this point i'd be done with me too um but so for you you know getting back on the court getting ready to come you know is that the thing you're looking forward to most just getting back to competition competing on tour week in week out uh yeah i mean as much as I'm scared of it, obviously I miss traveling. Like it feels weird being in the one place for so long. And, um, you know, if it does start up in August, that's one thing. But if I have to do like, like what if I have to train for three months? Like that's a, I've never been used to doing that long of a preseason. Like it's just, it's different. It's just a completely different feel. Um, I really enjoy traveling. Like I love seeing new cultures. I love going to weird places. Um, I don't know. I definitely miss that for sure. But I don't know if we'll ever get back to normal. I don't know if I, a lot of people are going to be traveling international. I don't know if I play, you know, a schedule just in the U.S. I, I really don't know until I see, you know, a calendar and make some decisions. No, no, without question. And so, yeah, I mean, I think we are all looking forward to seeing everyone back on tour, certainly as fans. You know, we miss it uh, for sure, so we look forward to that. Hopefully, again, though, we can, we can all do it in a safe and healthy fashion. Last two questions for you, very differing varieties. Question number one, you know, you mentioned the wedding coming up. Did the bachelor party get canceled due to COVID-19? Yeah, I was supposed to have the bachelor party June, July 4th. And not, I mean, again, I don't feel comfortable traveling some of my best friends like Henrik has been on like eight different planes and I call him every day to tell him how dumb he is for doing that (laughs) but like what are we gonna do like I feel like I'd rather wait and have an actual kick-ass bachelor party than have a mediocre one like if I'm gonna send it I'm gonna go full power yeah, no, absolutely. That's the thing. You don't want to butcher that, right? It's a, it's an experience. So I yeah, and there. and I was like, I was talking to my fiance yesterday, and her mom brought that up, and she was like, "Why don't you just do like a luncheon?" Like Catherine might have to do that. I'm like, "Are you crazy? A luncheon? <laughs> Going and get like ten of ten of my best friends and go to lunch? Like what? Uh, like, no. no, we just." 
we did a solid six minutes on mixology. A luncheon is not going to cut it. Yeah, when I get some ahi tuna or something, and like no. <laughs> Yeah, no, that does not sound ideal uh, at all. So, you know, look forward to seeing the videos, I suppose, from that. Um, Last question for you, and I know I've asked you this before, but we have a themed week coming up uh, for Cracked Rackets later on, and we are going to be releasing a project that relates very much to this question. So I'm going to ask you one more time. You know, you played on some outstanding UVA teams. Uh, in your opinion, which of the UVA teams in, in during the program's history was the best Virginia team? I don't know. I mean, I have full faith in our 2017 team. I know some people might say that's dumb because we didn't have the Damajan and the Jameer and the uh, who else was on that? What was that? 09 team? 08? Yeah, yeah Somdev, Tret. Somdev, um, Tret. Yeah, but... I think we pu- we pull our weight, man. I mean, Colin at four, like you don't want to see Colin anywhere at four. He's gonna like eat you to shreds. Me at five, Henrik at six. That's a pretty like it's hard to win those bottom three. And then come on, like you got you got to think one of the. I mean, I get it. Damajan's Dom- good, Jameer's good, all those guys. But I still think our top three has a chance. Like I don't think. Yeah. And I thought the bottom of the lineup was just our bottom of the lineup was probably one of the better ones I've seen. Yeah, no, I, the thing I keep coming back to, what I, and I did this, like, I had a two-and-a-half-hour podcast with Samdev Devarman, or just an interview for the project we're doing, and, like, he broke it down at a granular level, and it always seems to come back to doubles. And I just, I think that, you know, for you guys, it, it just wouldn't, though, because of the depth you have. As you mentioned, four, five, six, it's just, like, lock it in. Yeah, and one, two, three is always a crapshoot. Like, you're going to have one, exactly. you, like, as much as I think those guys had maybe had a better top of the lineup, like, who knows? Like Ty could easily win one of those or Carl could like, you never know. And it, that's what I think, like, I wouldn't want to, if I was a gambling man, I wouldn't want to gamble on slots of one, one, two, three. I would much rather put my, my money on the four, five, six, where I know <laughs> you might have a way better chance. And then you just kind of take that risk at one, two, three, that you get one. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you there. The the argument that Samdev made was that he was undefeated at one, Teddy Angelinos was undefeated at six, and that they don't lose doubles points because Tread and Dom and him and whatever. I was like, all right, all right, all right. Um, but it's know. a really I good argument. doubles with Tread and I don't know. <laughs> He's beatable. Yeah, Tell him I no. said that. Yeah, for sure. I will. Well, that seems like a perfect place to uh, end today's podcast. JC, thank you again for taking the time to chat with us. Hope you stay safe, stay healthy. And again, congratulations to you. Uh, You know, not the circumstances, obviously, you would want a wedding under, but that's still always awesome. So congratulations to you and your fiance on that as well. Thanks. If you guys want to commentate it, I'm sure that'd be more (laughs) than welcome. JC walks down the aisle. Ooh, slight hiccup there. I saw a little bit of a trip. I think his shoelace is untied. He's moving down. Anyways, yes, I have the voice down. You guys guys have some competition because I'm sure Mike Cation would love to do that as well. (laughs) Well, no, the problem is then, you know, you can only have one on the commentary and Noah will take my spot. And so it's like, oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we have that competition. So we'll we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, But yeah, again, congratulations to you. um, And seriously, stay safe, stay healthy, man. And I look forward to overserved mixology session number one with JC Aragoni. All right, perfect. Thanks, guys. Yeah, of course, take it easy.
Hope all of you enjoyed listening to our conversation with J.C. Aragoni. And as I mentioned, he's a guy we want to get around our Crack Rackets team more frequently because it's such a fun conversation. He's clearly got so many ideas about the future of the sport. And he's, well, you know, he thinks about them. He's, you know, intellectual about it. He's not just surface-level stuff. It's always a deep conversation when we have him on. So a huge shout-out to him, a big thank you to him, and, you know, wish him luck as he gets prepared uh, to resume his pro career. And, of course, we have had the chance to talk to so many players throughout this quarantine. If you have missed any of those conversations, uh, be sure to check out our variety of podcasts. Player interviews mostly found on the Cracked Interviews podcast. Of course, we throw a couple of them on this mini break feed as well, but there's also been some great podcasts on the Great Shot podcast. You want to hear more about WTA ATP merger talk, about the player relief funds, about what tennis will look like when it comes back, if it comes back. Go check out the conversations I had with former ATP CEO Mark Miles as well as Sports Business Journal's Brett McCormick on the A Great Shot podcast. If you're not listening yet, go subscribe to our Inside Out podcast, our new, newest narrative-based show here at Cracked Rackets. Again, for all of the podcasts, like, rate, subscribe, review, share them with your friends. If you're not, go check out our YouTube channel. You don't want to miss Overserved. You don't want to miss Hit and One, which I affectionately call Box and One because that's my favorite defense. Hit and One, my favorite newest tennis web series, so be sure to go check that out. It is a vlog following Division One men's tennis tennis player Alex Russian that we know all of you will enjoy. And of course, for all of our content, you can find it all on our website, crackedrackets.com. You need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Follow us at Cracked Rackets. Feel free to throw me a follow at Great Shot Pod. I am inching closer and closer to that 1,000 mark. And if you're not on there, trust me, you're missing out. You want to be a become a part of the tennis Twitter community. So be sure to go check out all of that stuff. Again, shout out to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Shout out to our friends at Aerobar as well. Our first Aerobar getting to the point episode with them. We had Michael Russell on the mini break last week. That was a great guest. Another great guest lined up for this week's Thursday episode as well. Use that promo code CRACKED15 to get 15% off all of your tennis energy bar needs. But with that being said, for our wonderful guest today, J.C. Aragoni, our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, who, by the way, have a f*** of an editing job to do. And for all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.